0: And
1: sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 87 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with your other co-host. Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Uh, how are we all?
2: Not bad at all, sir. Not bad at all. We Last week, we took about 17 hours to get ready for the show. This week, we trimmed it down to a slight 16 hours. So uh, really excited to it jump in. It feels like having... this took longer than last week to get ready for, it's...
1: I think. I think when we, we agreed to do this for, over Skype, we are like, that'll be easy. What can go wrong? What well, did go wrong, Jack?
2: Like literally <laughs> everything. everything. Yeah. Wrong, yeah. It's, it's an absolute nightmare. But, you know, little by little, it's getting hopefully a little bit easier each time. Um, Shall I talk about what we're going to do on the show today, Paul?
1: Let's do it. I mean, we've got a kind of, I suppose, a a can can would disapprove of what we're covering on this week's show because we said we've got a a pretty heavy Netflix focus this week, haven't we, Pete?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like we'll be booed at the end of the podcast or something like that. I suppose if can's got anything to say about this. Yeah, coming up on today's show, we're going to do two features as we quite often do. Uh, Last week, just the one, but we're back to the normal format of two features. We've got Coda Chrome and we've got Come Sunday, both of which are Netflix releases. They are currently available on the platform, so if you have Netflix, you can watch them right after you finish listening to us talk. Included in our show, though, as always, we've got regular segments, popcorn movies, coming attractions and credits at the end of the show. But first of all, we're going to do what we always do about this time and step into the foyer. Paul, what is it that we were going to set about doing in the foyer today? This is the part of the show where we're going to have like a a discussion to lead us into our reviews of movies this week. What, What was it that we wanted to focus on? So basically we're going to
1: focus on not specifically Netflix exclusive uh, films but films that we think are kind of hidden gems, uh, sort of tucked amongst Stranger Things and House of Cards and all the tucked right down at the bottom of Netflix. These are some films that you may not have heard of, you may have done and that we think you should basically see. I think it's probably probably the gist of it, Pete. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Hidden, yeah.
2: hidden gems, I suppose or somewhat hidden gems on, on that platform, yeah. Yeah, so Pete, do you want to go first? What have you got? Yeah, sure man. Um, so one that I've picked out is um, Charlie Kaufman going uh, total Charlie Kaufman in Anomalisa from 2016 this was one that he wrote and co-directed um, and it's basically like this meditation on an ex- the existential crisis of a man living like the most mundane and dull of lives imaginable he goes to give I think it's like a motivational talk at a business conference yeah. <laughs> but he has no internal motivation of his own and he's basically just like looking down the barrel of, of just the abyss at this point um, during his time staying at this nondescript sort of greyed out hotel he meets a woman called Lisa, the anomalisa of the title who may be able to spark just a little bit of life into his pitiful existence the film is like notable for a couple of reasons one is that this is sort of like um so greyed out and like nondescript, deliberately so that it is a bit like 50 shades of gray except with human emotions and (laughs) if you're anything like me the film will make you feel a lot of things particularly in these kind of um the the shifting tides of the possible romantic link between the central female character who's played by jennifer jason lee and the central protagonist who is um Uh, David Thewlis in this movie and then Tom Noonan is the only other member of the cast and he voices every other character. The movie's got this kind of really distinct art style. It's sort of an animated movie but based on real human forms. You'll have to see it to understand exactly what I mean, but Anomalies is really, really good. If you like Charlie Kaufman and you've missed this one somehow, dig it out because it's easy for you to find. Tap it into your Netflix. It came out in 2016. Paul, what have you got? Uh,
1: so I've got uh, Toby Hooper's uh, Canon produced, I believe, uh, Life Force from 1985. This is um,
2: like M- Mr. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? This is Mr. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yes. I would say it's, it's difficult to say this is his finest
1: work, bearing in mind this is from the man who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, but this this is a hell of a lot of fun. It's a incredibly shro- shroky, incredibly over the top, and at times pretty gory, completely batshit crazy sci-fi. Um, so if you like your cult cinema, then certainly check out Life Force. Um, I'm not going to say too much more about it, because again, with a lot of these films, it's best to go in completely cold. Uh, and be blown away by its craziness. Um, so yeah, that's Life Force. Um, if you haven't seen it, find it. All these are on Netflix, I think, at time of speaking. So I know te- Netflix tend to, do tend to shift things around. But it was certainly on there today. If you haven't seen it, seek it out. It's great.
2: Yeah, I've heard you talk about this before, and I'm obviously familiar with Toby Hooper, but I've never seen this one. So this is a recommendation for me too. Oh, I mean, again, don't, you know, it's not... It's not the highest, the highest bar of qualities you'd expect from
1: a Canon production, but it is a lot of fun. So. Don't, don't undersell yeah. <laughs> yourself, man. It's like Netflix yeah. hidden gems. But this one's
2: like, you know, a gem. I don't get me like uh,
1: wrong. I, I, know, I know when something's not necessarily great, but it's
2: a lot of fun. And that's, yeah. that's where I'm going with this. So this is a, a, firmly a guilty pleasure of mine, without a shadow of a doubt, but it, still, still very much worthwhile yeah not not great but still quite a bit of fun is uh, one of the yeah. reviews we've got on itunes for this podcast i would imagine um <laughs> second for me in terms of netflix gems is one that i apologize if you listen to this show regularly because i have banged on about here and there it's from 2015 it's an indie production called night owls the reasons to watch this film are pretty much um well centrally two they are rosa salazar who is soon to be starring in the robert rodriguez film alita battle angel and is fantastic uh, alongside adam pally that people are know from all kinds of indie films he's in that kind of mumblecore scene and, and a central player in that in fact i think i he was in joshi that i reviewed not too long ago um the film is basically about a guy who has to look up, oh look after i should say a girl who uh, may, if not given uh, due care and attention, die in the night from an overdose. Self-inflicted um, from taking a whole bunch of tablets for various uh, reasons that will become apparent when you watch this film. But what emerges from this really, really dark opening is something like a sort of sly um, smartly written romance story about two people finding connections with, with each other. in, like You know those hours of the night? You know like when you stay up with someone and it gets to about four in the morning and everyone Goes a bit loopy, and it's those times where, like, you can make these connections with people which may or may not be real and may or may not survive to the next morning. Um, Night Owls is, is. Yeah, really good. Um, if you like that sort of thing, which I certainly do, it's also terrifically well shot. It, the the cinematographer does a great job of capturing those kind of twilight hours and, and the early morning hours and that kind of part of the day. So, yeah, I recommend it, and it is currently streaming on. I've co actually. i would rather enjoyed Night Hours as well, to be fair. I think it's good um, stuff. Man. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, and I just good. feel like I included it here because not enough people have seen it, and that's probably what we're doing this segment for. So, what have you got next, Paul? Uh,
1: talking of Mumblecore, I've got a film or two films it. I'm going to squeeze two films. In here because yeah. they are a, one's a film and one's a sequel to that film. So, this is uh, Patrick Bryce's Creep One and Two, um, which I believe were Netflix exclusive. Were they Netflix exclusives? They certainly were over here, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is Creep One and Two starring um, Mark Duplass as the worst kind of creep you could possibly imagine, I think. Um, so basically, a guy answers an online ad to um to and uh, drives to a stranger's house to be to film this guy for the day who claims to want to make a video for his um unborn daughter um, but things go pretty south from there quite quickly Uh, and Mark Duplass delivers one of the creepiest uh, horror villains I've seen in quite some time. Um, I think it's gone under a lot of people's radar. Uh, The sequel Creep 2 actually proved to be even better. We certainly have talked about these films before on the show, certainly Creep 2. Um, Creep 2 proved to be I think superior to the first one.
2: And and Um, when it came up before Paul it was the fact that in Creep 2 you have also Desiree Akirvan who is like I think one of the most kind of intoxicating actresses who's working, at least in that scene at the moment. So yeah, there's mm. a lot to recommend the second one as well as the first one. And like this is, of course, Mark uh, Duplass of Jeff who lives at home. And in this case, we've got like really creepy <laughs> Jeff who like peach fuzzes around at home. Yeah, it's it's. But like,
1: it's it's quite no, to be honest. It's quite nice because it, it's again it was so they're kind of found footage. They are sort of found footage horror films. So again. When I first put on Creepers, it's like, oh, here we go—a Netflix kind of produced, low-budget fan footage horror film. This is going to be crap. Here We go again, and actually, the both both films are actually really good and very effective horrors. So
2: if you haven't seen those, they're very sort of blackly comic as well. But yeah, absolutely worth your time as horror fans. For sure, and it's a reminder to well, not just horror fans but everyone really that, like, for my money anyway, that some of the best horror movies come about from. People, human beings acting right weird, not just from creepy (laughs) crawlies and monsters and that kind of thing, but from the human being standing in front of you and not doing the things that you expect human beings should be doing in polite society. So, yeah, I I definitely co-sign on the the creep. uh, What do you even call that? Duology? I guess I suppose so I, th- I think there might be I don't know it'll be interesting to see whether, th- whether there's a third one coming or not. but if you haven't seen those check them out it uh, feels like it might have run its course but yeah the both of them are available so get on it um I wanted yeah. to plug something that um because we're going to talk about two Netflix exclusives and you've just actually mentioned creep which which we think is of the same ilk I wanted to mention something that's a Netflix original that to my mind is maybe the best one that there has been so far. Um, oh, don't hurt me because I know that Opja's also in that, cari- uh, that category. <laughs> but uh, this one is I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. It's Mekon Blair's directorial debut. This is the guy who was so great in like Blue Ruin and Green Room and a bunch of other films that we know and, and love. The, the reasons to watch this movie are um, basically, again, two lead performances that stand out. They are Melanie Linsky as this depressed woman who just wants to get her laptop back after it's Nick from her house and her avenging angel of a neighbour who's played by the like grungiest version of Elijah Wood that you've ever seen, complete with throwing stars and like sleeveless shirts and stuff. Um, the film goes from sort of like darkly comic to brutally violent in the way that Macon Blair seems to really relish and it reminds you, because you've got this protagonist who's trying to seek revenge on dark forces that are, are around her that are essentially modern society it reminds you quite a bit of Macon Blair's character in Blue Room in just trying to do the things that you see like superhero like valiant characters doing movies but not actually knowing how to do them properly so ending up like fucking them all up and like picking up the pieces at the end um it's really really good and i again i don't think enough people have seen it it's like 75 odd on metacritic at the moment so obviously got some critical love but yeah that one is i don't feel at home in this world anymore and it came out in 2017 paul have you got one more
1: I do have one more, and it, it's not on Netflix at the moment, but it no, certainly has been the on segment.
2: Netflix. I haven't ruined the segment, Ooh. because it's the only
1: place I've managed to find this film ever. Uh, this is, my understanding is, this is the first film from Michael Mann. This is 1983's The Keep, um, with Scott Glenn, Jürgen Prochnow, amongst other people. where young Ian McKellen is in this as well, uh, where basically some Nazis take up residence in a haunted uh, castle in i think on in romania if i remember rightly um it's absolutely bonkers again a bit like life force um I think the cut that the world has seen has been certainly cut to ribbons. Um, there's lots of neon effects. There's a Tangerine Dream soundtrack. It's very, very stylised. Very, very Michael Mann. But yeah, a Michael Mann horror film, um, which for anyone interested in Michael Mann should be a, a must-see, really. I hope, and as I said, you, you can't get it on Blu-ray anywhere. It isn't available anywhere in the world. And Netflix picked up a, quite a ropey copy. It was certainly on Netflix. It may be back on Netflix. If you haven't seen The Keep, and are interested in Michael Mann, Keep an eye on Netflix, because they tend to cycle things back on So I just wanted to throw that in there in the hope that they put it back on. If you listen to Netflix, put the keep back on.
2: Yeah, yeah. I hope for your sake, sir, that it comes back on Netflix, because otherwise the segment Netflix hidden gems is going to include a gem so hidden that it's not actually on the Netflix platform. It was on Netflix, though. It has been on Netflix. The keep has been on Netflix. There is a chance of it coming back. So I promise you that. Right, sure that is, is. a section that has been on this show and will also be on this show again <laughs> is called Popcorn Movies. It's where Paul and I throw around some reviews of films that we've seen in the last seven days. We will be back with that after this.
1: Yes, and back indeed we are. So I'm going to go first on Popcorn Movies this week, if so that's all right, right chance. Redeem um, yourself. I will try and redeem myself. This is a film that will be available in cinemas and certainly should be available on on somewhere else at some point. So you will be able to see this film. Um, this, is, uh, this was shown as Odeon do this thing called Screen Unseen, uh, where they do a mystery screening, which I may have talked about before. Uh, but they also do something called Scream Unseen, which is very cleverly titled, in which case it's a previously unannounced horror film. Um, so we went in having not a clue what we were going to watch. Uh, do you want to take a guess, gentlemen? So it's a horror film, not far off release. Could do you want to take a guess as to what it was?
2: Is it the Stranger's Prey at Night, as it says running the I'm show notes? At? And I've
1: just ruined this game. <laughs> yes, it's yeah, it these show
2: notes that you made us do I have completely spoiled I, this game. To, hey, to it was the strangers said- yeah yeah to be fair paul when you posted this on the social media that you'd gone to see this at scream unknown um i had no idea really what this was like the cover image seemed sort of familiar and christina hendrix is in it but i don't think i know anything about it so please enlighten me
1: uh, it's a sequel to a horror film i've never seen uh interestingly enough which is strangers which had, i believe live tyler and i can't remember who else was in this someone else will remind me i think it did reasonable money and it's supposed to be okay uh, just called the strangers um, so this is a sequel to that. I don't think it's a sequel in terms of in terms of story. The antagonists seem to be similar in terms of these kind of mis- this horrible sort of masked family who do horrible things to other people. So yeah, Christina Hendricks and her family uh, go to visit a um, family sort of uh, trailer park to get away for the time to try and have some family bonding time. The kind of normal situation that puts American families in these films in these situations. Uh, and then get terrorised by uh, what appears to be another family of just absolute psychopaths, basically. Um, the film itself is passable. It, it, it's a fun enough sort of throwaway horror. Uh, I've seen a lot better horrors, and I've seen a lot worse horrors. Uh, it's kind of a fun a, a fun sort of 80s, 90s poppy soundtrack that's thrown around. Um, there's a bit of neon, drink, there's some neon drink set pieces, which the listeners of the show will know I like. The set piece is just about rescue it. It's not incredible, but you could do a lot worse uh, with your time if you're in need for sort of a bit of genre fun.
2: Uh, is christina hendrix in like full gorgeous mode or slightly toned down gorgeous mode in this film uh full gorgeous mode i think right right so there's another another recommendation yeah. uh, or something worth uh, recommending from the movie i guess yeah I, interesting the 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 artwork seems interesting i don't know anything about either of those two films but it might be worth checking out do you have any idea when it's getting sort of generally released
1: uh, I don't, to be honest. Generally, these things can be between two, I think, two or three weeks ahead of, ahead of schedule. So I'm not 100% sure when it is actually due to be released. So that was remiss of me not to do my homework on that well,
2: one. I can um, tap, tap, tap in the background and see if we can find out. Um, hold on. 4th of May. It's coming up soon. Okay, so next week then. Yeah, yes. end of next week. Yeah, 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 it's imminent. We won't get it here, but it is coming up soon for the <laughs> May. Um, first for me this week, going way, way back to 1972, um, I watched for the second time in my uh, relatively short life the film Silent Running. Um, have you guys seen this movie?
1: I fucking love Silent Running. I thought you would. So, you yes. would. I, I would have been yeah, fairly
2: yeah. astonished if you hadn't seen it. Jack, I've got Carter a still book, Pete, you'd be surprised to know. <laughs> really well, uh... Hey, yeah. it's a film that came out at some point. Paul, have you seen it? Yeah, I've got a steelbook of it, obviously. <laughs> I'll just
0: leave that
2: there. No, I don't think I have it. So, so to the uninitiated, Jack and, and a large part of the rest of the world as well, this one is uh, noteworthy because it's a film directed by Douglas Trumbull, but Douglas Trumbull is mainly known as a vi- visual effects guy. He worked on things from... Um, well Blade Runner the 1982 original Blade Runner uh, to the Andromeda strain to even the Tree of Life with Terence Malick quite recently so he's like been involved in some of these incredible the motion pictures it, I
1: think. that
2: is absolutely correct yeah so yes. some of these things that've got like an amazing visual style uh, that's where I guess Douglas Trumbull is best known here though he's the director and this is quite early in his career uh, silent running it basically tells the story of an astronaut played by Bruce Dern father of the phenomenal Laura Dern and star of uh, one of my favourite films of the last five years Nebraska in this film though a much younger obviously uh, Bruce Dern is tasked with looking after a, a kind of space greenhouse and in this greenhouse are the um, plant life the flora that are going to hopefully survive mankind on the brink of complete sort of collapse and destruction but the thing is that Bruce Dern's character is told that his job is to destroy this last uh, space greenhouse and he doesn't really want to do that and what the film largely is is this polemic about how we need to stand up for um, the natural world really and for the environment and for plants and even creatures that are threatened with extinction or destruction and the funny thing about watching silent running in 2018 is that this is a movie that is you know for over 40 years old at this point but seems incredibly prescient in 2018 given the you know sitting american president amongst other people who seem hell bent on destroying large swathes of the rainforest and forests and plants and stuff around the world and the film retains a lot of its power i mean i first saw it i think 10 years ago and even now, the closing sequence in particular um, is is really quite moving. Um, there's also some like bits that don't look so good that are quite dated with some sort of stumpy robots and a bit of... Oh, these stumpy robots are kind of cute, though. They Come are on. cute. They are cute, man. They're like very cumbersome, but they are cute. And they have a game of poker, which is kind of wonderful yeah. at the point in this film. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot to recommend, Silent Running. If you haven't caught up with it, don't believe... It's streaming. Why did I see it? Oh, I, I got it from Film 4. It was showing on Film 4, so that's not helpful to anyone. But yeah, I'm sure you can get your hands on it. Uh, if not, contact Paul. I'll give out his number at the end of the show and he'll lend you the Steel Book. Paul, what have you got next? <laughs> uh, so I don't often do this, but I'm going to talk about a film I've already talked about.
1: I say that, we did that in the Netflix gym section. Um, yeah, so I just want to have a slightly calmer and a bit more sober reassessment of Star Wars The Last Jedi, which I watched on home release this week. Um, I still didn't like it all that much, to be honest. I thought I wanted to, I wanted to give it another go because I thought, you know, once the the, the hype and anticipation have of worn off, maybe this would be better. Um, and th- the drinks. The problem- and the drinks worn off. Yeah. <laughs> Although I saw so over, I hasten to add, True. rather than so, yeah, so yeah, I still have some massively fundamental problems with this film. The, the handling of the Luke character, which I ranted on about for quite a while, I think on the Christmas special is not so much of an issue on Second Time Round. I'm still not convinced that's the way they should have taken the character. Um, I will still applaud Ryan Johnson for making some bold choices. The problem is, for me, they just didn't really work for... It didn't feel... It still doesn't feel like Star Wars. The comedy is still painted in far too broad tones and there's too much of it. So if you don't like comedy or don't find this funny, the film is going to struggle. And whole swathes of the plot still don't make any sense. So that Poe Dameron not knowing the plan uh, resulting in all of the rebels dying, basically, makes seems to make very little sense to me. Um, and yeah, the, and it doesn't... For me, it still doesn't really feel like Star Wars. There's some incredible set pieces there, which I really like. Some of the visuals are fantastic. Um, her, um, Kylo Ren is still Adam Driver's Kylo Ren is still very very good but yeah it's just it seems like there's just some bizarre storytelling going on and, and, and Daisy Ridley can't act for shit I, I'm really she cannot act for Toffee she's just won I think the Best actress Award at the Empire Awards she is not very good in this film at all so yeah enough to like it's not my worst it's not my most hated Star Wars film by a long stretch it's not as bad as the prequels but yeah prop, serious problems remain for me yeah, was a slightly more measured approach
2: at what I did before. <laughs> at risk of sort of flushing our running, down, uh, our running time directly down the toilet, Paul, like taking out the original trilogy, okay, so exclude that from your thoughts, where does this sit in the pantheon of Star Wars if you take that out of the equation? So
1: taking the original trilogy out of the, the equation, this yeah.
2: sits as the... So if
1: Phantom Menace is the worst, Attack of the Clones is the next worst, for me, you've got Last Jedi, then Revenge of the Sith, and then Rogue One. That's going to be quite controversial. Right so yeah last year I thought Revenge of the Sith episode 3 was better than episode 8 there we go I've had
2: it out there if you're you're spitting your weak lemon drink all over your keyboard or uh, audio device when you hear Paul say this stuff get at us on our Facebook page and let us know (laughs) why he's wrong Uh, or indeed uh, absolutely correct about those uh, opinions Um, the second popcorn movie for me and I apologise to everyone that I'm bringing this up right now um, (laughs) I've finally completed my trudge interminable trudge through the 50 shades trilogy by watching the film 50 shades freed and i think the freed here means freed from the necessity to ever watch any of these again um this one is it good (laughs) uh, well for for, for what it's worth in this film uh, anastasia Steele and christian gray get married um the problem is there's still an antagonist by the name of jack hyde Who wants to kind of um, well fuck with uh, both of them, but particularly the Anastasia Steele character played by Dakota Johnson, because he has some sort of long-held vendetta. No one will care going in, and no one will care in the middle of the film, and by the end of the film, you'll care less than you cared at the beginning or in the middle. So what you think (laughs) when you go into this Fifty Shades, El James, don't show anyone what you're reading on the tube series is like, yeah, but we're not going in for the plot for the story. What we're going in is for like titillation and. Eroticism and sexy bits. You don't get that either. I mean, I've gone through this when I've reviewed the other films where we get, you know, the heights of eroticism are things like um, putting an ice cube on someone. Um, In this film, we get uh, putting some ice cream on someone, uh, which is deeply, (laughs) deeply arousing. Uh, There's a, a withholding gratification sequence, which is just so awkward. It's untrue and like not in the good way. And it's become very apparent. Like for anyone like me who is stupidly stuck with with this series, um, you know, to at least catch up with them at some point, that, like, E.L. James, the author of the novels, uh, quote-unquote, on which this uh, series is based, has little to no understanding of what, like, BDSM life is about. And so what we get in place of that is basically a female character played by Dakota Johnson, who is maybe one of the only good things about the series, and she doesn't get a lot good to do, um, having no independent life other than when she's either being attacked or threatened by a male antagonist. That's it. Apart from that, it's just doting on Christian Grey. Christian Grey here, depicted by uh, Jamie Dornan for the third time, and um, is as blank and soulless and controlling and just like a void of a human I mean, thing.
1: Pete, I, I thought the first one was bad and I, I haven't seen the second one and you've warned me off of it.
2: And how bad are we talking? Because the first the, one's bad enough. The first enough, one, so. just to correct you there, Paul, the, the first one is essentially the first half. Because in the first one, it has the most abrupt and like um yes, disorientatingly, exactly. uh, you know, truncated ending where the film just stops. It just stops, and then we decide that we're going to jump onto the next film, and you need to pay your money for the second one. Yeah. But yeah, this thing is just like. there's no humanity here it's like it's like someone sent you do you you remember Paul when I was uh, given a lucrative opportunity to read an erotic novel on (laughs) YouTube more on that maybe on a future episode but like no offense to the guy there maybe it's the biggest credit that he could possibly get the amateur author that sent me chapters but his writing was the same as what E.L. James has written here and finally Paul did you realize about the uh, Fifty Shades movies that the writer of the screenplay? is one Niall Leonard, who's written stuff like Wire in the Blood and Monarch of the Glen on British television, but also happens to be married to a particular person, Paul. Can you guess who it is? Is it E.L. James? It's E.L. James. Yeah, yeah so like... I remember
1: reading that Sam, Sam Taylor-Wood uh, tried to make some bigger changes to the first film to try and make it better. And mm. um, E.L. James was like, no, no, not changing. My source material is sacrosanct. Like, You can't change this. And she's like, she can't write for shit. No. She said uh, no. she was... Um,
2: she was. It was Twilight fan fiction, the whole thing started. That's now, right, yeah, that's absolutely right. And, 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 and lest we forget that the, the director of this film and the last Fifty Shades film, after Sam Taylor-Johnson jumped off the thing, for good reason... Sam Taylor-Wood, sorry, he, Sam Taylor-Johnson. Sorry, yeah, yeah sorry. He's, uh James Foley. James Foley's the director of Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh, he's also directed a dozen episodes of House of Cards and here like it's not even on james foley this thing is such a blancmange of like bad writing limited ideas and sort of almost hateful world worldview that like th- there's just like negative number of things to recommend almost anything in this series and <laughs> I-, I would say like you know go nipple clamp yourself and you'll have more fun than you will on any of the three <laughs> films have we got anything else to say in this section, Paul? Uh, no, I think on that nipple clamp, on that nipple clamp, we should probably move on to coming attractions. <laughs> Bang! In that case, we will be right back uh, to electrify you with coming attractions.
0: So yeah, we're back with uh, coming attractions. Uh, this week, all three of us will be talking about a trailer that we've been watching this week. Uh, I'll go first if that's okay.
2: Well, it looks like you are, Jack. It looks okay, like you are. Yeah, all right, I'll go Here he goes, gallivanting in on his own section. Yeah. This better be good. What, what, what is it <laughs> that we should be excited about watching?
0: Uh, so, this week I have picked a film called Anon. Uh, it comes out on the 11th of May, which is probably the earliest film I've ever talked about on this section. Uh, it stars Clive Owen and Amanda Oh, Stavros. great.
2: Good choice. Yeah, well, you know. Do you want to know something about Amanda Seyfried, Jack? I'll give you this this for for free. Go on, then. Uh, she's got the word "minge" tattooed on her foot. Carry on.
0: That's pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> uh, that makes me want to watch this film even more. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is directed by uh, Andrew Nicole Nicole, I think that's how you pronounce it. Who also did uh, the 2011 film In Time, um, which yeah, was all right. Which was yeah, it was all right. And his last film was 2014's Good Kill. Did he um, make Gattaca?
1: He did make Gattaca, didn't
2: he? Yeah, I think that's did, yeah. correct. Yeah. Um,
0: so this film is, is set in the future um, when there's no crime or anon- oh, I can't even anonymity. Anonymity? That. That's the word. Thank you, Pete. Um, and basically, they record your private memories and all of your memories and stuff. And so basically, murder and crimes don't happen because they know almost what you've done. That sounds
2: moment. like, Paul, back me up. That sounds like that. Uh, narrative, no, the Black Mirror episode that's called, like, The Complete History of Me or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with Toby Kebble. Yes. Yeah. Carry on.
0: So, yeah, very similar to that, actually, by the sounds of it. So, Owen is trying to uh, solve some unsolved murders. Owen? Who's uh, um, Owen? Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Yes, Owen. Clive Owen. Owen's
2: trying to solve some murders. <laughs> Oi, Owen, solve the murders.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, good. I, uh, I was just trying to abbreviate it, sorry. Um, and basically, they find that Siegfried, uh, who, a girl, and she um, has no identity or memories <laughs> or anything or no history. Um, so they they're trying to figure out why this has happened and why
1: there's Jack, Jack, Jack. I have no idea what this was about. <laughs> no idea at all. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying you trying to explain it. I've seen the trailer and I think, to be honest, you're doing quite a good job because the trailer makes absolutely no, no sense to no, this exactly. film whatsoever so you're trying at least you're trying but yes and and both
2: clive owen and amanda seyfried for the most part are, are pretty good i'd say in stuff i don't know that they always make fantastic choices or maybe they they take more checks than um you know uh quality projects here and there um, I'm looking at I don't know I don't know which one more than the other um, that, that fucking shoot 'em up film for a start but carry on sorry I keep hijacking your uh, your, your lead up to this movie sorry you said this comes out in the beginning of May 11th of May 11th yeah. of May so he's got like a couple of weeks to wait and presumably with what you've said there this will get at least a semi-wide release it's, it sounds it's like Netflix. the kind of like popcorn fodder that yeah, people all go to yeah, definitely. it's not just a Netflix film is it a Netflix film it's to him. yeah. oh, wow. okay. okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, so maybe come to a Netflix that. near you. Yeah, yeah. Tune into <laughs> yeah. nearest Netflix, and you'll get a, a bit of a bit of a. Non- and if you if, you, if you didn't grasp what that was about, watch the trailer,
1: and you can't really blame Jack for, for struggling through that because the trailer <laughs> makes even less sense than Jack did there, to be honest. So, uh, Pete, what have you got
2: next? <laughs> so, uh, coming attraction for me is a film called Tully. Now, I'm into the idea of this film but for for the fact that it's uh, reteaming Jason Reitman and Diablo. Diablo Cody. So shoot me. I think Diablo Cody is a good writer. Ooh, intake of breath. Uh, people don't like her, and I think a lot of that's to do with her being a woman. Ooh, stop it. Um, and a yeah. former stripper, perhaps. But, well, yes. yeah, but that's irrelevant. Um, Jason Reitman also is on the naughty step, as far as I'm concerned, because Men, Women, and Children, his last feature film, was absolute dog pops, and was this like one of those movies that is instantly dated. It was supposed to be this thing about um the dangers of sort of um internet technology and online pornography and how the children are all getting inf- infected with with the world as it is today, but it oh, I just came across so like sanctimonious and misconceived. It was it was terrible. Um, Avoid it at all costs. At the same time, this is Jason Reitman who directed um, Young Adult with Charlize Theron in the lead, which I thought was great. And Charlize Theron is in this film as well, alongside Mackenzie Davis, who I thought was great in Holt and Catch Fire, and then also in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And she's an actress that I've kind of harped on about a little bit. Um, So, oh, and Mark Duplass is in it as well, Paul, who you've mentioned earlier on in the the Creep films. So those three leads, very exciting. If Jason Reitman and Diablo. Cody can, like, recapture the magic of something like Young Adult, that would be great. This film, um, to sum up, is about a character called Marlo, who's played by Charlize Theron. Uh, She's a mother of three children, including a newborn baby, and she's gifted a night nanny played by Mackenzie Davis, um, by her brother, who's played by Mark Duplass. She thinks that this is kind of extravagant to have a nanny, but then they start to build a relationship, the Mackenzie Davis and Charlize Theron uh, characters, that is quite affecting for both of them and surprising, and I don't know more than that, and I don't really want to know more than that, because I'm excited for this one, and it releases... Uh, pretty soon I think if I can just go down to the next page of my document where I've put the date at which it releases uh, yes it releases I believe on the 4th of May so just a week before Jack's filming in about uh, yeah, a week or so's time Paul what have you got? Uh, I'm
1: just going to start by saying I have no idea when this film comes out because the trailer only dropped yesterday, so I would have thought this year at some point. Um, this is a film called Woman Walks Ahead, um, directed by, I think she's done some British TV before, a lady called Susanna White, not a director I'm familiar with uh, on a film basis anyway. Uh, this stars Jessica Sustain and Sam Rockwell um, and appears to be quite a rare thing, uh, a female-led Western um, and it appears that Jessica Chastain's character um, is basically going to venture out into the great sort of the great wild west to paint um, an, a Native American chief. Um, and all is not what, what it seems. What does seemed.
2: that she's mean? Sh- I saw that in your notes. What does it mean, paint a, paint a she chief? Wants to, she, wants to, she wants to paint
1: a painting of oh, a Native American chief. Oh, I got chief. it. When I saw yeah, you, yeah.
2: you'd written that down. I thought, what, yeah. she's going to put paint on him. Isn't that kind of <laughs> disrespectful? But yeah, no, I get it now. Thank you. No.
1: Uh, so yes, um, and all is all is not what it seems. There's there's a lot more going on, and there's there's a certainly if you watch the trailer, there's a wider scope to the, to basically the American military wanting possibly wanting war with the with the Native Americans. Um, but what I'm intrigued about is Jessica Jessica Sustain is a staunch staunch feminist. Um, seeing her lead um, lead a genre that lead a, a film that's in a genre that is quite often very anti-women in its portrayal should be very, very interesting, I think. Um a female-directed Western as well. They're few, they're few and far between. So uh, very much looking forward to this one. Um, Jessica just an incredible actress, so I think this will be very, very good. And Sam Rockwell, always value for money as well. So, yeah, very excited about
2: this one, I have to um, say. The, the best I can do on the release date, Paul, is 29th of June in the US. So we'll right, see okay. for the UK. It should should be around then anyway.
1: Yeah, but yeah, so that's it for coming attractions. We'll be back after this with feature review issues.
2: So, we have two features uh, ready to go for this week's show. The first of which is uh, Netflix exclusive, although both of them are actually in that category. This one is called Codachrome. And um, Jack, you actually previewed this film just a few episodes ago, I believe. So that I means did. you've you've gobbled it up as soon as it was released, presumably.
0: Uh, no, unfortunately, I haven't. <laughs> you've not watched had, it? <laughs> I haven't
2: had, uh, <laughs> it's a setup. I'm sorry. Yeah, I haven't
0: had the internet to be able to watch films recently
2: so that's fair enough this one came out on the 20th of april so not long ago at all and it should be front page on your netflix if you've you've got that service um it's set during the final days of an admired uh, photo development system that's known as codachrome jack explained this before when he did the preview and basically you've got uh, what amounts to basically a road trip uh, of a father and son the father played by ed harris the son played by jason sudeikis gulp um, and alongside them is the father who's a fairly aged man I mean we know how old Ed Harris is but yeah his character is aged and he's sort of ill of health at the time uh, his nurse played by Elizabeth Olsen fingers crossed that she was good more on that in a moment um, this one is directed by Mark Rasso it's his second feature after the film Copenhagen currently on Netflix but I haven't seen it I think I said that the first time around when we talked about this movie and interestingly enough the film uh, I think Jack you mentioned is based on an article From the New York Times. It was called uh, For Kodachrome Fans, The Road Ends at Photolab in Kansas, because of course this is based on true events. Um, There was a real lab. It was the end of an era in terms of this development process. Um, And the writer is a man called A.J. Salzberger, who happens to be, and this will sicken you, Paul Anderson, um, he is the current publisher of the New York Times at age 37. Wow. Okay. Yeah. i doing right for himself, did not he? Yeah. Yeah, he is doing Imagine right he's got right enough, um, enough time to just throw a film out. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt that I think his father is like the chairman of the New York Times company. Um, oh, it, yeah. And his mother is a renowned artist and photographer in New York. I think that's helped. <laughs> but yeah, before we get into our assessment of the movie Kodachrome, we'll just hear a little clip. Happiness is bullshit. You think Picasso was happy? You think Hemingway was? No art worth a damn was ever created out of happiness, I can tell you that much. That's why we're all such miserable assholes. So you know you're a miserable asshole? Well, you think I'm an idiot? Of course I know. So yeah, I, it's one
1: of those films where you think this this could be kind of run-of-the-mill, uh, overblown, kind of cliche-ridden toss, and for quite a lot of it, I think bits of it are. Um, Jason, so let's, let's start with
2: I think I think that Lincoln's fairly presumptuous. But can, can yeah. you expound on why it is that I you might on... think this is run of the mill toss? <laughs> I, I can, can expound on quite a lot of it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah, bear with me. <laughs> run of the mill toss. Yeah, sorry. Which, uh, which <laughs> elements of the setup here, Paul, <laughs> gave you yeah. those
2: preconceptions yeah, yeah. about this movie? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so yeah, so this this kind of material, as you would imagine, can be it needs to be dealt with with a with I would say a deft of hand. So you have a younger man going on a road trip with his dying father. Um, it would be very easy for this film to drift into sort of overblown smaltzy, over emotive territory, um, and pos and definitely hit some cliches along their road trip because we've seen these kind
2: of emotional road trips before. Uh, we'll undoubtedly see them again. Um, I think I think on, um, succinctly, Paul. What you might mean is you don't want a film to ever go full Garden State. No, that's, that's a fair point. To be fair, yeah, I'll give you that. I give you that. I haven't seen Garden State for ages. Um,
1: yeah, so yeah, um, with that in mind, just just before we get into the review of what we thought, I just I just want to share with you the, the timing of which I watched this film. I don't know if you guys have read my letterbox review yet, so apologies if you have. So the time in which I watched this film, uh, I decided to watch this film uh, yesterday, so that was the 24th of April. The 24th of April is my late father's birthday. Uh, I lost him to cancer a few years ago, as people are aware, uh, and we didn't always have the best of relationships, so I decided to watch a sentimental film about a man with a dying father on my late father's birthday. So I cried at the end of this film and that's not necessarily because it was a good or effective film. So that's, (laughs) that's the bulk of my review. Uh, Pete, I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> right, so
2: it's sort of like the perfect or the absolute worst timing, depending on yeah. which way you look yeah, at this absolutely, thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, interestingly, the film, because it's about this um, development of like old style camera film that's increasingly becoming um, redundant in the modern world because everybody's just saving things on memory cards. I think the Ed Harris character at one point calls this uh, digital dust and it's all going to blow away in the future. There's going to be no physical memories of the things that people experienced in their you know, time on this earth. So the film really is concerned with um, preservation of physical media uh particularly basing that feeling on a growing nostalgia that i think even now i mean you see we were just talking earlier on paul about how you've got like a new record deck and both of us and yeah. and jack too i think like we younger people um yeah we're all in that category aren't we paul younger people um just... are getting into vinyl you even get your hipsters who are into cassette tapes at this point yeah, you know no people sense. are looking back because <laughs> we start to lose some of the a tactile tangible nature of times past right and that's what this film has as a fairly earnest centre point I think Um, you would probably agree right and so given that it helps in plotting the thing that the Jason Sudeikis character in his professional life works as an A&R man for a record label who are also struggling with the changing shifting tides of modernity because obviously bands these days have to find new ways to make money and here's this guy being earnest about you know the sound of the needle on the record and bands being real bands and not just trying to put out hits and stuff and so it leads to what i think is one of the high points of the film actually which is a confrontation that he has where he's going to sign and then maybe not going to sign like the new cool band or whatever in in that role if he signs the band it's going to really help his career if he fucks him off then he could lose a lot of money and status and maybe even lose his job and from this point on we get this road trip we get this relationship with his father that the ed harris character has mentioned And for the most part, I think it's well-intentioned. I did feel though, Paul, and and jump back in on me here, but I did feel that what you mentioned about this Having the uh, pitfall of potentially being like overly schmaltzy is a, is sort of a pitfall that it did uh, plunge into now and again. Like I totally agree. With like you, yeah. underscoring it, so it, many it, scenes with um, sort of dream pop shoegaze music. Yeah, and
1: term. the whole kind of the whole kind of lo- the kind of burgeoning obvious um, love interest between uh, Jason Statham's character uh, and I've completely forgotten her name momentarily, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen. Olsen's character as well. Like that was that for those scenes when they were kind of bonding or, or near, oh they aren't they going to sleep together like, i don't care this is so cliche to have these two sort of fall in love with each other It would have been a lot better if they didn't so she what? plays the she plays the ed harris's character's nurse doesn't she so yeah that's right you know, yeah, so she's got to room. travel like, with him
2: to make sure that he yeah. is like and then, medically okay
1: and like the kind of you know the, the the bits towards the end of the film where they do they go oh no it was all okay in the end you weren't that bad a guy and i was like the guy was a prick <laughs> like, yeah like The father character was a prick and he just lets it go. And yeah, it does, unfortunately, it does fall into pretty much almost every cliche you can imagine. It's not badly made as such, but...
2: Yeah, I mean, Paul, I want to jump in on that point because um, I'm not, as we always say on this show, a disclaimer, like I'm not going to spoil the ending of the film, but the way in which the film does reach its conclusion feels like it's letting itself off the hook or at least letting it's it's uh the ed harris character off the hook because we have a particular sequence which is full of nostalgia and longing for the past however it made me think of um the relationship between kurt vonnegut and mark vonnegut his son and i'll explain why um Kurt Vonnegut is this like vaunted author that I love and I've read you know tons and tons of his work uh, of his novels I should say and his his non-fiction stuff but um, I also read the uh, autobiography of his son uh, Mark Vonnegut who basically says my father was like an insufferable selfish uh, just like completely solipsistic guy who was almost oblivious to the needs of the people around him now in this film, I don't know that what the Sadekis character experiences at the end makes up for the amount of stuff that he's been robbed of by a father who's been so self interested for so much of his life. Do you do you see where I'm coming from on that, Paul? Uh, yeah,
1: I totally. There's there's no. I, I completely agree. Um, he, he got more than I got from my father. I give him that much. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it does. And again, I think it just it falls into. It could have been quite an emotional and quite a hard-hitting drama in places, and I think it, it I think it, it bottles it really, and just goes down the kind of crowd-pleasing sort of broadly, almost like the whole film could have been done through like a rosy Instagram filter, <laughs> like yeah, as yeah. much as it as much as it promotes physical physical photographs, it'll yeah just yeah it feels very sort of fluffy around the edges, I think, and it's fine, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a it's not a non-entertaining film, and for the most part, I think the cast are okay here, but. It just, yeah, it could have been a lot better than this, I think, to be honest
2: yeah and and i think um maybe unfortunately for this movie as well it it slightly pales for me in comparison with well certainly something like nebraska which is a totally yeah yeah, Yeah. an an aging father and son road movie that came out in like the last five years but of course mark rasso is not alexander Payne, um very very apparently but even a film like last flag flying the link later film that we reviewed recently now in that movie obviously the road trip is um trying to put to rest uh and pay respects to the dead and in this film we're sort of of paying respects to yes the dying in ed harris's character but also the death of an era right and so it's like ripe for all this um all this kind of pathos and payoff that i don't know that we ever really get because like you said paul i think that maybe sometimes it's too slathered in in this kind of um layer of a fairly modern technique and and regard to allow itself to sort of breathe in any kind of um, authentic fashion. Although having said all of that, like I think Elizabeth Olsen is good in it. I think Ed Harris is good in it. And I still don't like Jason Sudeikis. So um,
1: <laughs> those are my thoughts. I, think I, I like him more here than I've liked him in the past. I mean, are you, up until, up until uh, Colossal, I, I hated the man, I have to say. Does he, um, does he not but... strike
2: you though, Paul? Does he not strike you in this movie and like everything else as that guy who would be like cozied up to your wife or girlfriend going like, oh, I had a really difficult relationship with my dad. Like he was kind of terrible to me and then trying to sleep with her. Because I think that's the way he comes over in everything. He's a he's a sleazy, like slippery character. That's that's how I met
1: that's how I met my wife, Pete. (laughs)
2: Don't Don't knock it till you've tried it. In that case,
1: (laughs) right. On that note, uh, we'll be back shortly with a feature review of Come Sunday.
2: So second on the slate for feature reviews this week, we have come Sunday. As we mentioned before, it's another Netflix release. So, just to my... step
1: in there for a minute, part of the reason these are both Netflix releases and not because we've suddenly fallen in love with Netflix, because it was either that or we both had to see Truth or Dare. Uh,
2: yeah, and be so. debating the Cannes Film Festival, I suppose, yes, as we mentioned. Totally, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, anyway. Yeah, so, so this one uh, come Sunday. Uh, I'm going to try and set it up before I entirely lose my voice. Um, it tells the true story of an evangelist bishop called uh, Carlton Pearson who was ostracised by his church for preaching that there is no hell. Hell. Um, He had this like hugely popular, it was called Higher Dimensions, a fellowship in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And his fellowship went from being like, I think about 5,000 strong in terms of a congregation to being almost entirely abandoned and all of that pivoted on the fact that this guy had the temerity to stand up and say i've read the bible and i have a different interpretation to the received wisdom that we all need to um make sort of penance and 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 um i'm lacking a word here uh repent for our sins in order to avoid you know a fire and brimstone uh demise in hell come the end of our lives um, before I get into any more of this stuff, I think it would be advisable for us to hear a little bit of a clip. I want to ask you something. Is there anybody you've loved in your own life who backslid and is in hell right now? My daddy's in hell. What about it? And did you love him? Of course I did. He was my daddy. But he beat my mama. He beat me. He was a fornicator. And now God's punishing him. He's suffering in hell. He's tortured and tormented for all eternity. So let me ask you something. Would you get him out of
1: hell if you could? so who directed this one Pete just um, just remind me of that Yeah, because...
2: so so to fill in the blank on, on that stu- side of stuff Paul we've got Joshua Marston as director here who is a guy who basically made his name directing a film that's very much worth looking up um, called Maria Full of Grace about drug cocaine drug muling. oh ok I've never seen that I've
1: heard um, very good things about that yeah it's very I've very good and it.
2: then he's done bits and pieces between then which was I think 2004 and now which is obviously 14 years later um, we have a script by uh, yeah script by Marcus Hinchey who I believe only has one other writing credit which is All Good Things the Ryan Gosling film that I've never seen it's like one of those that crops up that looks a bit bland. I don't know, so yeah, I've, I've never seen either in Venice. So. I've never got round yeah. to it. And then in starring roles here uh, at the center of this thing, we've got Chiwetel Ejiofor playing the uh bishop that I mentioned in the intro. Obviously we know him from things like 12 Years a Slave and The Martian. We've also got Lakeith Stanfield who um well made big waves in in Get Out last year. Was also in Straight Out of Compton playing Snoop Dogg with like over, overdubbed uh, vocals. Was in Short Term 12 and he's in the series Atlanta that Donald Glover's uh currently running. Um, We've got Jason Siegel who's uh, hit or miss at the best of times but I've got love for that guy. We've got Martin Sheen, we've got uh, an actress called Candola Rashad who's in Master of None and uh, Money Monster which was dreadful and then Danny Glover um, and a couple of others that, that I don't need to get into but yeah the story Paul first of all is one that on the face of it is quite personal to me. And I think before I get into that, I want to hear your take on this movie. What Did this strike you as something that you wanted to invest your sort of um, time and uh, attention in?
1: Initially, yes. Um, I think anything that kind of anything that takes aim at the kind of the way this takes aim at kind of organised religion and the fact that you can't interpret the Bible differently, uh, I thought was great. And uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor is one of my favourite actors out there. He, I think he's incredible. Ever since he blew me away as the bad guy in Serenity um, years and years and years ago, I think he's he's absolutely incredible. And he is on blistering form here. I think in this world kind of as he starts to as his congregation kind of starts to starts to fade away from him he's questioning whether he's done the right thing whether he has actually heard the voice of God which he's adamant he did and his reading of Christianity basically comes from, in fact he sees um, some news about the uh, uh, issues I say issues as a wild understatement there like Rwanda genocide there's people there's hundreds of thousands of Africans dying in, um, in Rwanda and he looks out to his congregation and says, "Actually, I think they've all gone to heaven because how the hell can you believe in a god that would send all of those people directly to hell because they haven't been saved?" Like that bit, I thought was incredible. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's such a great reading of of the Bible as opposed to the more traditional one that the the other characters purport to have. Sorry, go on.
2: Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to add to that, Paul, that like he in the film, um, and I should mention and I haven't to this point this this thing here is is actually based uh, on uh, this American Life episode from a few years ago. Um, I saw their name come up at the beginning, actually. That yeah, which was called Heretics. It, if people who don't know, uh, there's a, a podcast called This American Life hosted by a guy called Ira Glass, and it's been running forever, like for 25 years or something like that. And it's really, really worth your time. It's basically like a, a documentary podcast that deals with different issues uh, connected to people's lives around the world. And they did an episode called Heretics, which detailed this story. And then This American Life and their team and Chicago Public Radio or whoever uh, helped in the making and you know green lighting of of this film here but I was going to say on your point Paul that the guy in the podcast episode and actually in the film as well the the bishop Ejiofor's character stands in front of the congregation and says in light of things like that Rwandan genocide the god we've been preaching is a monster he's worse than bin Laden worse than Saddam Hussein worse than Hitler because what he's saying is essentially, if you believe that the God that we should believe in would send people who haven't had the chance to repent because they're like dying of, yeah. you know, starvation or, or from a drought or from AIDS, and they haven't had time to find God, therefore they're going to burn in hell, then that's a monstrous proposition. And and you, it's very immediately, um, or it's very easy to buy into that idea I think and to root for this character who seems to be just speaking like common sense.
1: Yeah absolutely and so Denjifor does this plays this role so so well Um, I think that it's the performance is fantastic. I just and I think the, the film starts a lot better than it ends. And I think um, you put it quite well in your in your show notes. I'm probably just going to pinch this to be fair, but you did you did say it pretty well. Is that just the the direction isn't particularly exciting with the film though? Like, so it, it hits kind of the middle. It just it, I think it kind of runs out of steam and possibly loses its teeth a little bit. I don't think it quite knows what it wants. I think that that sort of that particular scene that we've just talked about where he preaches that is just, is the high point of the film and almost where can it go from there? It's almost like the film almost, almost should have ended there and left that just hanging, hanging out there for you to reconsider what you think of the church's beliefs. So, yeah. And it kind of, it drifts a little bit, I think, after that, and as you, I think, as you put, sort of slightly mundanely directed.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I definitely feel that way. And and I think that also there's a, a slightly problematic element to the telling of the story at least in the film which is the way in which the Lakeith Stanfield character is dealt with. This is a guy who um, mm. comes out to the bishop as gay or I think he, you know he's come out to more than one person as gay but he's also uh, HIV pro- positive and carrying the AIDS virus and his, um, what's that called T-cell count is particularly low so he's obviously on the decline and the way in which that is quote unquote like resolved towards the end of the film to me feels like it's used more as a, a, a pivot point or like a Jumping off point for the redemptive um, element of the bishop's own personal journey rather than being interested too much in like the internal struggle of a guy who 's been given a life sentence, and even when given that life sentence is ostracised from the church whether or not he believes in hell purely because of his sexuality and I think that was a little bit unfortunate maybe in the edit the way that that comes over in the film I just wanted to mention as well Paul and and cut me off whenever you want but um, this film you were mentioning about the previous review Kodachrome hitting fairly close to home given the circumstances of you know your own life in the last few years and this one for me I say it hits close to home. It didn't hit me particularly hard, I think for the reasons that you've outlined there, but um, I grew up with evangelical Christian parents and I also grew up with the very clear um, understanding of the fact that as much as my parents cared for me and loved me, I was, and still am, uh, doomed to go to hell at the end of my life, um, given the sort of fairly dogmatic beliefs under which it is necessary to live um, with, within certain church organisations. Now, that's okay. I'm okay, like, with that now, uh, at age 34. When you're nine, or ten, or eleven, <laughs> that's quite difficult to contend with, and I think that that's the reason why I find um, this subject matter, if not this film Pretty interesting i mean at one point i think when i was about nine or ten years old we went on an excursion uh we went up uh, you guys will know cleave hill it's a hill that yep. overlooks the the town of cheltenham where where i grew up and where we are at least jack and i right now and the the task that we had to perform there was to look out over the town and pray for uh redemption of the youth and the congregation of our church. And actually, I think that the bigger point was that we were paying, uh, we were praying for a sort of redemption of the population because, again, of this central idea that if you don't repent and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. And so for me, there was always a voice inside me thinking, I, I don't, this doesn't tally with me. Because on the one hand, you've got this all loving, caring, forgiving God and Christ character and on the other hand this fucking guy is going to let you know many many loved ones that you're going to meet throughout your life burn in agony for all eternity purely because they didn't decide to sign up to a particular club so um yeah the 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 subject matter here is interesting and I'm glad that this film exists i would say though maybe that the story is a little bit more fleshed out and a little bit more interestingly told in the original podcast mm. episode, which sounds like terrible, terrible sort of a conclusion to draw having watched a hour and 45 minutes of a feature film, but that's maybe the way I feel. Paul, have you got any last thoughts on uh, no, it? No, I think, yeah, I'd
1: say, again, I'd probably say it's a similar thing, as I said, with, with Kodachrome, it's, there's, there's a lot worse out there on Netflix the Subject matter is interesting enough to carry the film. It's certainly, I'm, I'm intrigued to listen to the podcast it's based on now. So, um, uh, and Edge of Four is, is superb in this. I would, I would reiterate that point. He makes it, it got me through to the end, really. So, um, yeah, not not incredible by any stretch, but still, still decent from my perspective, at least. So,
2: yeah, and yeah, just yeah. to underline your point, Paul, the Chuatal Edge of Four performance is worth it alone, I think. Yeah. you know, totally. uh, yeah, if you, you're a fan of, of, of just. Acting and and great performances. To be fair, Um, we will be back then for our final segment of the show. Well, is it is it after a stinger, Paul, or is it right now? It's right now. I think. I don't think we need to do a sting for this. Yeah, I
1: don't think we need to do a sting for this. To be fair, Uh, this is credits. This is where we pay credit to something else. It can be film related. It doesn't have to be film related. It could be absolutely anything that's going on. Uh, in our lives this week. Um, yeah. should you I know jump that in, bit at the
2: end of the movie where the credits are rolling up the screen? Well, this time there are only three credits. One comes from that man, Paul Anderson, one from that guy, Jack Mills, and one from me. Um, who wants to go first on credits? Can I go first? Yeah, man. God of
1: fucking war on the PlayStation 4. It's incredible. Like, absolutely incredible. Like, we, we talk about, it is a film-based podcast, I'll admit. We've talked about games in the past. This is such a cinematic game from the outset. What's quite interesting about this is... It's all done in a single take. So in the same way that maybe like Silent House was done or even Hitchcock did years ago with Rope, um, everything here is a single take. So the the character never leaves Kratos' side. Um, If anyone's familiar with the previous games on the PlayStation, which I'm sure you will be, they were very, very very fun. They were very action packed, but Kratos didn't really have any personality. Here he's accompanied by his son. Uh, The writing so far has been fantastic. Um, Video games have grown up a lot in the past five or 10 years. The storytelling is superb. The graphics are incredible. The combat's fantastic. The first half an hour is one of the greatest openers to a video game I've played in about the last probably four or five years. So, if you have a PlayStation Four, which you're likely to do, so go and get God of War
2: at once. And Paul, you, you've done astonishingly there, maybe without even noticing it, because our two feature reviews are a father and son story and a story of God and religion. And what you've done is tied both <laughs> of those things into yeah, your the, the God of War. Week. Yes. Well played. No worries. <laughs> um, Jack, what, is next. What, what do you want to play credit to this this fine week?
0: Uh, I like to play credit to a few purchases that I've made recently, uh, which are soundtrack milk biscuits. What milk biscuits. Which soundtracks, Jack Mills? Uh, which soundtracks from so which films? I have uh, purchased Baby Driver and Drive soundtracks on vinyl, um, and obviously Paul brought up earlier that he's brought a new record player. So I thought I'd pay credit to that. Which one's better, Drive?
2: Yeah, I got gotta agree with you on that that one. Um, but though, actually, of the two, which one's better is uh, Anselm. What's his name? Ansel Ansel Anselm. What's the guy in Baby oh, Driver? Elgort. Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort. Thank you, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the best of the two is Ansel Elgort's girlfriend um my recommendation of something that I want to pay credit to this week is actually I've already mentioned it it's this american life the podcast and the episode is called heretics it's the one that tells this story of the bishop that was dealt with in come sunday um it's been actually re-released or republished by uh, this american life and w be easy or whoever puts that stuff out uh, to coincide with the release of the film so look it up you can find it at thisamericanlife.org or you can just search American Life in Google or um, you can find it on like iTunes and all those regular places but before you look up that episode I would make sure that you have subscribed to our show Strangers in the Cinema podcast which you've listened to today and enjoyed more than you possibly could have imagined. Um, Any other business Paul Anderson? Uh, No just to
1: obviously throw people in the direction of uh, Instagram Strangers in the Cinema, Twitter at just cinema
2: and uh, other
1: social media of which we are all on. Uh, but no, that's everything from me, guys. So,
2: Well, until next time, I suggest that you all go out and find your own truth.
0: When the God of love returns There'll be hell to pay
2: Though the world
0: may be out of excuses, I know just what I would say.